AA Beyond Belief is a podcast by, for, and about people who have found a secular path to sobriety in Alcoholics Anonymous. Welcome to the Wednesday Secular Speaker Series. Today you will hear from Tom S., originally from Alabama, now living in Kansas City. This is a talk he gave at the KC Secular AA Speaker Meeting in January of 2019. Okay, well, uh, thanks for coming, everyone, and my name is Tom, and I'm an addict. And um, that's probably one of the things that I want to address first is that I'm always a little bit hesitant to speak at an AA meeting because I, um, I don't have a drinking history that is going to um, be very involved, but uh, it was almost exclusively drugs for me. And uh, I apologize if that... Um, if because of that you can't relate or anything like you know anything like that, but uh, so uh, I grew up in a small town in South Alabama, uh, about ten thousand people, and uh, so pretty normal, um, you know, uh, elementary school and. You know, high school, and uh, you know, I like I, I had always had a girlfriend all through elementary school, and really, I did all through high school. But along about uh, puberty, or um, so, uh, I began to realize my attraction to other boys, men. <clears throat> uh, so when in in my town the uh, when you leave sixth grade you go straight to high school, so in the and I was just terrified of this uh, going to high school because in the seventh grade you have all grades. I had seniors in my physical education class when I was in uh, you know in in high school. I was in the seventh grade. And the rumor was that you, the seventh graders were all going to have their pants ripped off and run up the flagpole. And uh, so that was a fear, too. However, uh, soon uh, I began to enjoy physical education uh, as, uh, you know, it was a chance for me to peer at uh other boys and everything, and I was kind of realizing that what I was hoping it was was a phase, and but uh, you know I didn't know anything about it or anything like that. So you know I was hoping that it might go away one day, and that everybody you know maybe everybody goes through a phase like this, but uh, uh, it didn't go away. And of course, you know I've I've always joked that in. Uh, in my town, like being gay would be, uh, you know, 
akin to, or or let me put it this way. I, I always used to say that the guy who robbed the liquor store and shot the clerk would be more respected than a gay person in my town. So, you know, of course, I, I kept that all quiet and you know, and whether, you know, and this will kind you know, this will come up because it has, my, my story has a lot to do with, uh, my story with drugs has a lot to do with sex. So, uh, in college, uh, I, uh, smoked some marijuana in my freshman year, but I didn't get off. But finally I, I kind of came out in my, uh, the summer of my junior, between my junior and senior year in college and, you know, had uh, sex for the first time and uh, um, started going to Atlanta. I, I went to school at Auburn, which is in Alabama, and it's about two hours from Atlanta. So I started going to Atlanta a lot. Uh, and uh, so I, I would, like, go to Atlanta on Friday night, stay till the bars closed, and then come back to go to a football game on Saturday, then go back to Atlanta on Saturday night and stay till the bars closed. You know, like rolling down windows and doing all kinds of things to keep myself awake while I was doing all that driving. But uh, so uh, I just, you know, I was given pot. And so in my senior year, you know, I got off on pot and I um, – you know, I had been drinking, and I noticed, like, all during my fraternity parties and all that, that other guys seemed to get a lot more fun out of it than I did because I would get, you know, when I got to where I could feel it, uh, I would enjoy it for about an hour or so, and then I'd get really hungry, and I'd want to eat, and then I'd want to go to sleep. And then I the, the next day, it was always a at least a 24-hour recovery for me. There was no question about after I had been drunk, was I going to go to class the next day or anything like that? I was praying to the porcelain goddess the entire day. So when I discovered pot, that was like, oh, now I've got something that I can do at parties. But immediately, my friends changed. And this was back in, you know, like 1973, 74. And uh, so, um, you know, it was kind of like, it would be kind of like, you know, so, okay, you were, I, 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 I became a person that y- you were cool if you smoked pot. And, you know, you kind of like would say, hey, do you smoke? Oh, yeah, yeah, I smoke, all this kind of stuff. And so, but I, and I, but I abandoned my other friends. And uh, so I was, uh, I was in ROTC in college. And uh, so I immediately went into the Air Force right after uh, college. I was a pretty big whoop-de-doo in ROTC in college. I was like the cadet commander of Air Force Army, Navy, ROTC for this big presentation, celebration, and all this kind of stuff. Even though I had begun smoking pot and hitting the gay bars on the weekends. And uh, so uh, when I got into the um, Air Force, I was going to go, I was in pilot training. And so, you know, while I was flying these... uh, planes with an instructor and all that kind of stuff, I thought, this is not going to be a very good pot-smoking job. (laughs) So uh, 
I was thinking, I began to think about, well, okay, now what do I want to do, um, you know, that would be a good pot smoking job? And so, and, and immediately, by the way, when I started smoking pot, I never expected as much from me after that. My, it was like my whole uh, uh, self-esteem or what I thought that I might become, all of that was, nev- was never the same. So I was thinking, huh truck driver, I bet that would be a good pot smoking job, especially since I seemed to have to have a joint everywhere I went in the car, you know, which is ridiculous. So, you know, Douglas, maybe you can identify with, with that. I mean, you know, because it's just, you know, it's dangerous for that too. But, but it seemed like a good idea at the time. So I eliminated myself from pilot training and became an administrative officer. And, uh, so, um, but right the night before I started pilot training, I need to go back. That was the, uh, I used to go, I was stationed in Selma, Alabama, of all places, and I used to go to Atlanta on the weekends. And so I was at this guy who let me stay at his house um, when I would go to Atlanta, and he was having a party, and uh, he gave me, there was a little bit of powder on the end of a knife, and he gave it to me just to swallow and so that was when I first discovered meth and we we never we never mentioned the word meth back then we always called it crystal you know a nice a nice sounding word and uh so I thought and and I identify like here's the point where I identify a lot with people whose drug of choice is alcohol because immediately I thought where has this been all my life? I know what's wrong with me. This must be how normal people feel. And so I was, uh, you know, I felt better looking. I was a better conversationalist. I had deep conversations that night with people that I couldn't stand. Uh, and, uh, you know, I just thought this was, you know, uh, I've said this before that so what's wrong with me is I've been uh, suffering from a meth deficiency, a crystal deficiency. And uh, so I thought that that was the answer. Uh, and of course, um, it turned on me. I got caught during the Air Force in the Air Force with a with a test, a uh, urine urine test. They called it Operation Golden Flow. And uh, uh, so uh, I, I got caught and I lied my way out. I, I, you know, they, the command, base commander called me in and he said, like, there were, there were two positives in the test. And Lieutenant Sawyer, one of them was yours. And I go, mine? Why? He said, well, you tested positive for amphetamine. So... I go, amphetamine? <laughs> what could that be? Uh, you know, and I said, oh, well, I was in Vancouver. I, I was stationed in upper Washington State right on the Canadian border. I said, well, I was in Vancouver the other uh, last week, and I was going to go skiing the next day, and a guy gave me this diet pill. He said, this diet pill. He said, take this, and you won't be tired. And uh, so, and I said, I thought a diet pill was just something you could buy. I didn't know that it was anything wrong with that you know just lying through my teeth the whole time knowing exactly what it was but uh so i had to pee for uh, a month in the uh, you know uh 
every every week for a month and but I did uh you know get myself out of that but even you know during that during that month I was thinking of all kind of ways like how could I scheme to uh be able to do some crystal and not get caught in the urinalysis but uh so uh after I got out of the air force uh I uh went back went to graduate school uh and i uh i was only there a couple of quarters and then i i dropped out and uh i uh i moved to atlanta which is where my disease really took off and where i found that i could uh purchase purchase it for uh, a pretty cheap price and uh so there it began to affect my work uh i would uh and in 1980 i went to my first meeting and it was an na meeting and uh and i was talking about this the other night i think that i uh i couldn't identify with anybody in that meeting and there it was a smoke filled room and people brought their children who they needed to bring their children in order to get to a meeting and you know so i was i looked down on them for bringing children into a smoky smoky room like that and you know and 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 i hated the part where you said i'm joe and i'm an addict and everybody goes hi joe i just i thought that was just cheesy but anyway um i i went to meetings on and off uh and uh Finally, in 1986, I went to treatment, uh, and I went to a treatment center that uh, a lot of medical people went to. Um, and uh, after the treatment, it was a 30-day treatment, and I and I went into the uh, a halfway house. And this is not the halfway house like you might think; is a halfway house where you have to pay dearly to get into it. And then I had there was a three-quarter house, which meant that you could work. So I did all, I did all of that. And, uh, I began a period of sobriety that lasted for, um, I think around 17 years. And, uh, this was in, started in 1986. Um, I met some people in treatment that I became close with. Um, and uh, I moved to Kansas City after I had celebrated one year sober and started going to meetings in Kansas City. I'd go to Live and Let Live. And the, the main meeting that I went to here was on Friday night and uh, uh, down at the uh, there's, there's a church, Grace and Holy Trinity. You, you, you saw me there, I think. Uh, and uh, it was a meeting where uh, nobody knew ever came in, and it, we would talk for a few minutes. And if it, unless something was bothering anybody, we would adjourn to the Chinese restaurant, uh, which was uh, down the street from where where we met. And I mean, it was kind of good because you know a lot of a lot of good talk. You know, a lot of a lot of good recovery comes in the coffees and the dinners after the meeting and all of that. But anyway, so uh, uh, the it 
and and I had a I had a good job. I was working for Sprint here, and uh, so I had kind of a meteoric rise um, through the ranks of Sprint and was making good money. Uh, and so, uh, at some point, I started. Um, uh, sobriety started losing its priority with me. And I started thinking about all of, you know, how sex was uh, not that great, and I wasn't having any. I wasn't motivated to go out to have any. And I was thinking, here I am, a red-blooded American gay male, and it's Saturday night, and I don't even want to go out and hunt on the hunt. So... uh, and so uh, eventually, I mean, uh, that's what took me back out. I decided that I deserved it. You know, I've been sober for a long time, and I, uh, I deserved it. And uh, so uh, it started kind of with a drug that I was being a, a prescribed for, uh, I started taking uh, antidepressants with Prozac back in 1990. It was uh, it did wonders for me. Um, it uh, I did not continue talk therapy because I thought, okay, this is what I needed, so I don't need to do that anymore. So it was extremely helpful, but not helpful enough that you know, and and I wasn't involved in the program enough for it to keep me sober. Uh, so I was prescribed this. Uh, I asked for uh, if there was anything for ADD that wasn't addictive. And so they prescribed this drug for me. Uh, and I, I won't even tell you the name of it. So I won't give anybody any ideas. And it was. Uh, but anyway, it, it, you know, I, I, I started with one a day and then two a day and two a day was my dosage. And, you know, pretty soon I was taking eight a day and and so on and I was you know telling the pharmacist that I needed to refill because I was going out of town and you know you know so I became addicted to this drug and I finally told the the, uh, psychiatrist that and uh, you know it turns out that this particular drug for people who are addicted to uh, crystal methadrine uh, it kind of mimics the effect of that so but that took me back out to Crystal. So, uh, and uh, I stayed out uh, a few years. Uh, and uh, along about 19, let's see, uh, no, 2007, uh, I was not doing well at work. I had a meteoric rise, and uh, I was beginning to miss assignments. I was beginning to show up late, uh, and I had a talking to from human resources and my manager uh, about what was going on. And I said, "You know, I realized that. You know, uh, you know, I'll straighten up all this kind of stuff." And uh, but uh, so I, there was this test that I, I was trying to pass this test for, for project management. It's called the PMP. And uh, when I failed that test for the third time, I finally decided to confess to Sprint what was going on because, you know, I, I mean, I was an excellent student, like summa cum laude, all this kind of stuff. And each time I thought I had passed this test with flying colors. 
So I didn't want them to think I was stupid. So I finally told them that I was, you know, addicted and all this kind of stuff. And I went to treatment. And uh, so uh, Sprint was going to have, have layoffs around that time. And it was the year that I had had this particular issue. And uh, performance was going to be what the layoffs were based on. So I decided that I would take a package, which meant that I could volunteer to be laid off and uh, ended up getting paid for a year not to work. So which was just a wonderful time to use when you you weren't didn't have to be anywhere in the morning and you could be sick and not go to work, but nobody was expecting you or anything. And, you know, I was going to do all this stuff like work on my recovery and my acting and all this while I was while I was uh, not working. And it, I mean, it turned out that uh, it, I, it just got really, really, really bad. So I tried uh, several times to go back to meetings and I would get a few months put together. And finally, uh, in uh, 2008, right, in July of 2008, after a bender of about four days, you know, you, do, you don't, you keep going, you don't want to stop, you want, you don't want to sleep. I, uh, I called my old sponsor and told him that I wanted to quit. He immediately fired me. And he told me who that I thought should be my sponsor, who, who he thought should be my sponsor. I thought it was a terrible idea, but it was kind of a turning point for me because it was the first time that I actually did anything that I was told to do that I didn't think that that was the way I wanted to work my program. So I asked the person that he told to be my sponsor. So that started this period of sobriety. Now, uh, this period of sobriety is much better for me than any period of sobriety that I've, you know, all during that 17 years, uh, I was probably maybe sober for five to seven years of that. And then maybe dry on a dry drunk the rest of the time. I just wasn't using, but, uh, this time, uh, things began to click for me. And it took a long time. It took over a year before the psychic change happened where, um, uh, you know, I started working at Garmin and, uh, some of you have heard me tell this before, but, uh, I hated my job at Garmin and, uh, my supervisor, when we did our first annual review, he asked me what what was my, what were my goals for the next year, and I said to get another job. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I have I I've been I've had some level promotions, but basically, uh, ten years later, I am still doing that same job at Garmin. Mm-hmm. And along about a year, a little over a year, I began to think about how I liked the people I was working with and how I was helping people because I was helping people with their products that they were having problems with. And so, and I had a lot of, uh, when I was at Sprint, I was on projects that lasted years and then they would decide, you know, you'd be two years into it and they decide it was a loser. And, you know, but from a business case perspective, and so they would just cancel it. So I had, uh, you know, each call for me to a customer was a, a chance for uh, to uh, 
to end something, to start something and, and finish something every day. So, um, and, uh, you know, and then, uh, you know, about, I can't remember how long ago, if it was three or four years ago, I found this group. Uh, and, uh, and I kind of was looking for this group because at my home group, which was live and let live, they, Every every now and then they would get this wild hair and decide that they needed to be true to AA and not have any addicts at the meeting and stuff. So I started looking for it. And I remember going to John and talking to John about it. And uh, I think even when I wasn't here, maybe you talked to other people about, you know, whether you thought that would be okay. And so I'm extremely grateful for the fact that you guys let me come here to an AA meeting and say that I'm an addict and participate and, uh, and, uh, reap the benefits of it. Um, I say that during this period of sobriety, uh, the, the part of the promises that has come true for me is the part about, we will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. So, uh, being a card-carrying speed freak, uh, when I first started in AA, the serenity just didn't sound like anything that I really wanted anyway. <laughs> you know, I mean, that, you know, that was like quiet and sitting in a rocking chair on the front porch and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, I finally, in this period of sobriety, learned that Peace, you know, I describe it as having peace, whether I'm in an activity or, um, you know, or uh, doing mundane things. Uh, my dogs have meant a lot to me. I've had spiritual connections with my dogs. And uh, so I've just really enjoyed being sober, especially the, during the time that I've been here. Now, it's not a bed of roses, uh, you know, and, and in fact, in the last a uh, few months I've been feeling squirrely and uh, I, I need to uh, I need to start doing some things that uh, have gotten uh, I, I need to stop some bad habits that have gotten back a hold of me like uh, procrastination uh, I need to do my hobbies more and because I'm fine, you know, I'm finding myself at home with a lot of time to think. And as we all know, uh, uh, we were talking about the, the saying, think, think, think at the Friday meeting yesterday. And, you know, we were talking about how, you know, I, we I, I think every one of us kind of agreed that, you know, that think, think, think slogan wasn't too advisable. And I know what you probably mean is like, think it through. And when they say think, 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 but, but, you know, that comes across to me as like, sit around and think and, you know, which is, you know, it's like, you know, I, I, I really do better if I am not thinking, uh, you know, so for, for, so for me to be distracted, uh, and distracted with things I like. I like my work, and, you know, I like golf. I like my acting. I need to get more involved in, in, in that. But, you know, I'm, I'm not in any kind of danger at the moment of, uh, of using, but I'm not overconfident either. You know, I, I, I know that, you know, at some point I could be presented with an opportunity and have a hard time turning it down. Uh, but... Uh, 
I don't know. Have I am, am I at twenty minutes yet, or if I am I short am I short of that? You can go on for another ten. Oh, I, well, I'm about, I'm about, I think I'm about done. Um, you know, um, I just, again, I just want to thank this group. I love this group and the free thinkers um, uh, meeting. Uh, it's been a tremendous help for me. And uh, I love all of you people that come to these meetings. And uh, I think I'll pass. And that's another episode of AA Beyond Belief. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to help out our site and podcast, there's a couple of things you can do. First of all, go over to iTunes and leave us a review, hopefully a favorable one. You can also help out financially with either a recurring or one-time contribution. You can do that by setting up small recurring donations at our Patreon page at patreon.com slash aabeyondbelief or through PayPal at paypal.me slash aabeyondbelief and you can always visit our site aabeyondbelief.org and click on the donate button thanks again for listening we'll be back again real soon with another episode of aabeyondbelief the podcast